I'm Gilda. And I'm Steph. And this is Saturday Night High, the podcast where we get high and talk about Saturday Night Live. And sometimes we get so high that when one of us goes to hit save on the audio file, they hit the back button and it deletes the episode. So this is the second time we're recording this episode. (laughs) But you know, life happens, shit happens. This episode was supposed to be hosted by Elliot Gould, and it was hosted by Dick Cavett instead. This was season two, episode seven. This was aired on November 13th, 1976, and uh, the musical guest was Rye Cooter. Yeah. So, um... Oh, excuse me. So we go into the cold open, um, and it is Gilda Radner doing an ad for a fabric softener or a clothing company or something of the sort. It had something to do with her clothing. And she's like talking about how the colors are so vivid. And she points to her shirt and she's like, oh, wow, this is green. And what she's wearing is blue. And she's miscoloring all of these different articles of clothing. At which point Garrett Morris is sitting at home with his brand new TV. And he thinks something's wrong with the TV because the colors are off. And, um... Old TVs, they were box TVs, and old white men liked to bang on the sides of them when the TV started acting up because, you know, they're like, ah, it'll fix it. And so that's what Garrett, well, and Garrett Morris is not an old white man, but I don't know. It's a thing the dudes did. Like, my mother never hit one of our TVs to get it to work. That was always the thing that men in my family did, but I never, I've never seen a woman hit a TV. I don't know. Another thing that a man always did was say, live from New York is Saturday night. And this is the first episode where it was a woman who said it. It was Gilda Radner because after hitting the TV, um, Gilda Radner in her little TV ad falls and then says the line. And I was kind of like, okay, that was cute and fun and all, but why did she have to fall before saying it? Like, they do realize they don't do that, right? Right. It's, I, I'm kind of curious to see exactly how long they're going to keep including pratfalls because it's just, it's not necessary. But one part of the cold open that I really did enjoy was when Garrett Morris was hitting the TV, Gilda Radner would move. So if he hit the top of the TV, she would like duck down. He hit the side, she'd go to the left or, you know, whatever. It was really creative. It was very cool and very well done. Yeah, it was fun. Um, the monologue wasn't as fun. It was kind of strange because like I said, it was supposed to be Elliot Gould hosting. So it was a question and answer monologue, but all the questions weren't for Dick Cavett. Yeah, there was one about what was it like being married to Barbara Streisand, and that is how I learned that Elliot Gould was once married to Barbara Streisand. Yeah, he did have a question, which was, what makes New York so crummy these days? And his answer was tourists. And when he said this, the whole audience cracked the fuck up, and he seemed really proud of himself for saying it. He was like, oh, I'm going to have to remember that one, which that's obviously how I am when I make one person laugh. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> just never gonna get this sentence out. <laughs> what you know what's really funny is like 
you sneezed as he stood up and shook like all his like fur definitely just went out into the air and so it was kind of like you sneezed because of like an allergic reaction except that's just not possible over facetime <laughs> that's my experience just now oh my gosh okay um so there was a question posed to dick cavett asking if he was going to patronize sex wo- sex workers um while he was in new york and he was like no no i'm going to treat them as equals uh, and then another joke relating to Jimmy Carter's, you know, adultery and lusting in the mind, which they're really, they're beating that joke like it's a dead horse. Right, now that the election's over, they're able to really go in and make some jokes, and it's fun and great. Um, and I think one of the last questions of this was, are you hung in proportion to your height? <laughs> yeah, uh, Dick Cavett's answer was that it was uh, five to one proportion and he wouldn't say in which direction it was like oh my god yeah it was something else um the next sketch was honestly really funny it was an ad and it was Gilda Radner and Lorraine Newman and they were with dogs and the ad was for something called puppy uppers (laughs) which helps them lose weight um it's just speed for puppies. And then the other one was doggy downers, and that was just a downer for dogs. And I love this because I love, dr- I love drugs, and I love dogs, <laughs> and it was a good sketch, honestly. I love my ladies, Gulp and Rain. You know, it was just, it was a good sketch. Yeah. I start out with Scrabble. I love Scrabble. I would say, yeah, it, it was, this sketch was just a hit on every fucking level. Um... Jane Curtin and Lorraine Newman were just on Watch What Happens Live with uh, Andy Cohen. And they were talking about the whole Chevy Chase Bill Murray fight and how it was like really sad watching two grown men fight. And yeah. I took today off. Or, you know, I had today off. And it was just like, you know, I'm just going to watch videos and fuck off. I do not care. I went out. Yeah. I bought more Pride wine. I bought more weed. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's what you do when you're not working, is you spend your money. Yeah, yeah, I need to stop that. Um, Yeah, so the next sketch was a parody of uh, the Watergate hearings and John Dean's testimony in front of, I believe, the Senate committee that was investigating Watergate, and he had written a book called Blind Ambition, and he's written a number of books, but this parody, it was called Blonde Ambition, and he then, there's a cut to a, it's like a flashback to when he knew something was up with Nixon or something during Watergate, and Dan Aykroyd is playing Nixon, and Gilda Radner is playing his secretary. Um, John Belushi plays Henry Kissinger, and honestly, the audience, this sketch really fucking hit with them. Like, this was super topical, and people were able to laugh at Watergate as opposed to, like, oh my god, the government's a shit show. Like, it was far enough removed people could laugh at it, but they were loving it. Um, they were, yeah. It was really fresh, I felt like, for the show almost, because it, it just went really in. They had... Henry Kissinger asking if he could go to a country club that didn't allow Jews in. It was just 
quite the sketch. There were a lot of scene changes. It felt a little bit long, I'll be honest. Yeah, it, it, um, and it, also it, it could have been shorter. because I didn't live through any of this. I mean, I know what's going on. Neither did I. I'm older than you, but I'm not Watergate old. Um, no, I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I. Um, John Belushi, uh, Henry Kissinger asks Nixon if he could wiretap anybody he wants with, like, childlike glee, and he was, like, bouncing up and down, and I just thought that was fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, it was, it was funny. It was too long. It could have been shorter, but it was funny. Yeah, there was a whole bit where Nixon had a recorder in his lamp, and he was going to record John Dean coming in, and incriminating himself for everything and so Nixon was sitting there waiting and he used the lamp as like a a microphone to sing into which was just a funny visual and then when John Dean came in he used it like a reporter uses the microphone and was like talking into it and holding out to the other person it was you know all Gilda Radner meant was excuse me make make sure you leave it on like, make sure you're talking, like, it's in between you and him, and he's talking towards it, not use the damn thing like a microphone. But, again, I thought it was, yeah, it was well done. Um, and then we went into Ry Cooter's per- eh, first performance. Uh, it was Tatler, and I had heard this song. I had no idea who sang it. It sounded nice, but it was depressing as fuck. It was depressing, and it was my first time hearing it. Um, but I really liked his outfit. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he was rocking some sort of colorful shirt that was buttoned down. And I don't know. I'm getting to that button-down phase, you guys. Oh my god, I've been wearing button-downs to work almost exclusively. Well, that and tank tops, because I don't want to roast. Um, anyway, so then, yeah, we have Weekend Update. And it starts with Jane Curtin doing this magazine bit where she's, like, you know, taking a quiz in the magazine. And then it, like, flips to the cover. And this is Ms. Magazine. Um, And it's, like, a sex survey. And she, like, selects one of the choices but pushes the pencil, like, right through the magazine. And we don't know which one she selected, which is what makes it funny. Um, I don't know. I thought it was better than a Chevy Chase sex joke, so... It wasn't gross. It was just a woman reading up on on things, you know. Um, yeah. Then she did a bunch of jokes about you know the election and for just losing and all that, whatever. She did okay. This was a bit of a highlight. She talked about how Sally Fields was cast in Civil, and so she read a quote that was supposed to be. Sally Fields, I think, talking about being cast in this role, and it ends up just being Jane Curtin going through a bunch of different, like, famous impressions and lines, and it was, like, it was just really good, and really, it had to be rehearsed. It was really well done. Oh, yeah, no, because it was super quick. Like, the transitions, it was so sharp that it was just like, damn, okay, you're funny. Like... Yeah, I, I remember, I mean, I know we talked about this yesterday, but it's really nice, like, okay, Chevy Chase isn't, yes, fine, he was the big star, quote-unquote, from the first season, and he grabbed, he, he got the show notoriety, but at the same time, it's really nice to see other cast members shining. 
It is. She is really pulling through in the season. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing her so much more in sketches, and she has more personality. I'm so glad. Because it was before, it was just like, you know, oh, okay, they'll play random background women in the sketch. Like, it wasn't them actually exercising their comedy chops, if you will. Right. In 1976, this was, like, I'm sure a great step for womankind to have just a woman on a weekend update. I mean, my God, yeah. Um... There was a joke about Smokey the Bear committing suicide and wanting to be cremated, and that all of the forest animals showed up to the uh, memorial service, and Lorraine Newman is listing off a bunch of different animals that were there, and there is such a thing as a red fox, but red fox is not an animal. Red fox was the main character that played... Samford on Samford and Sons um and I laughed at that along with the Beaver Cleaver name drop I, I just I, I thought it was funny but then as Smokey's getting cremated a forest fire erupts in the background because of it yeah and the forest fire was on a rough 1976 green screen but you gotta work with it I guess you know and then we have uh, cut to a message in the middle of Weekend Update and this message was Garrett Morris, and he's walking around, and he's dressed in a Marine's uniform, and he's going up to different men and talking to them, and they're sort of turning him away. You don't really know what's going on because you can't hear the dialogue, but it ends with a guy eventually, you know, being receptive to whatever Garrett Morris is offering, and they put their arms around each other and walk away, and it's like... It felt oddly homophobic, but I couldn't quite place it. Um, yeah. Yesterday when I was trying to talk about this sketch, I called it the Navy because I was thinking of the Village People song in the Navy, but no, it was in fact the Marines. <laughs> yeah, I, it was just like an ad, yeah, it, it was very, I don't want to say it was odd because I honestly don't know that I fully, I, I mean, I think I understood what they were getting at, but... I don't know. Um, and then Weekend Update closes out with, oh, here's a heartwarming story that you just about don't... A good Samaritan. Yeah, Good Samaritan. Yeah, a heartwarming story about a Good Samaritan that you just don't hear anymore. And it's about trigger warning, sexual assault, skip ahead one or two. Um, it's about a man who assaults a woman and a passerby interjects and tries to stop the assault and the assailant then stabs the good Samaritan to death and continues assaulting the woman and Jane Curtin's like you just don't hear stories like that anymore and it was just like what the fuck this is a comedy show and that wasn't funny yeah that was a horrible vibe to end weekend update on mm -hmm. and I was hoping that the next sketch would bring it back but it kind of pushed it down even into a deeper hole of you yeah um this was a sketch titled crossroads and it began with dick Cavett introducing the scene which was a family at a crossroads and this family was dan Aykroyd as a father john belushi as a son and gilder Radner as a mother and the son just wants to quit school and become a construction worker because he'll be able to make money and he won't feel like a failure because he feels like a failure at school and he's like begging his dad to please let him quit school and his dad isn't saying anything at all and then he smacks him off the chair and so then he 
goes to the mom and he's like, hey, this would really be good for me. It'd be good for all of us. I could finally contribute. Um, and she's not going to say anything. She just smacks him off the chair. And so Dick Havitt intervenes and he comes in and he's like a reverend father and he has stopped by unexpectedly and he waltzes on into this scene and sits down and Gilda Radner's seat and I don't quite remember the details but I think the son is explained to him what he wants to do and he just smacks him off the chair again. Yeah, he does that and then basically turns to the camera and is like, honor thy mother and father and it's like to an extent, yeah, but nah, not like that. Like, when he's, when Dick Cavett is introducing him, he's like, oh, they're experiencing a breakdown in communication after John Belushi is flung off the chair the first or second time. It's like, that's not, oop, that's not, uh, that's not a breakdown in communication. That's just, like, straight-up abuse. Yeah, it's really not great seeing that on a comedy show, but here mm -hmm. we are. Yeah. Um, the next sketch was a pre-tape, and this had Chevy Chase in it. Yeah, this was a pre-tape for, I guess, a parody of something that would have aired on NBC. I don't know. It's like a half-hour sitcom or something. It was called Mobile Shrink. Chevy Chase was the mobile shrink. He was a psychologist who... He just got bored with office, seeing patients in an office, and so he meets you at your job while you're working to talk to you to do you know i guess on the on the spot therapy and it was like more search tests and freudian dream analysis yeah no the Ror the rorschach tests were like yeah that was fucking weird but um God, no one laughed at this. No one thought it was funny. And seeing as last week was Chevy Chase's last official week as a cast member, I'm guessing this was taped, you know, in the weeks prior and just not used. But I, I, I don't fucking know. Yeah, this at this point in the episode, I was kind of like, ooh, they're not doing too hot. Yeah. Um... And then we went into, excuse me, the recurring sketch of how things work with Jane Curtin, or maybe it's not recurring, but it's like she does her interview style segments. And she's like, I'm Jane Curtin. This is, whether it's looks at books or whatever. And this was uh, Dick Cavett as Merle Tadburney. And he was talking about how he, she's like, oh yeah, he works in pressure campaigns. And then he goes on to talk about how the pressure campaign to get him on this show, the letter writing pressure campaign, um, it was all fake. It was all him with fake names and um, it was all fake names and... Um, Fuck, sorry, I just got a text and I'm laughing at it and I've lost my train of thought because I'm high and also drunk. Um, oh, phony letters, fake names, it was all, like, it's not about Frank Sinatra and how he represented, like, the Italian-American oh, anti-discrimination well, yeah, no, so thing. Like, Go on, yeah, um, take it away. Yeah, I, I think I have a better memory of this, but it's not much of a good memory of this. This was not a memorable sketch, I'll be honest with It you. was not. Um, yeah. So this one was, you know, Dick Cabot was supposed to be this expert on pressure groups 
here to explain about them, but he wasn't. He was actually somebody who represented marginalized uh, groups within America, I think it was. And he talked about some of the groups that he represents, and one of them was the Circle Creations. And Jane Curtin asks him to tell a joke about that, and he does. And then another thing was him talking about the work he does for Italian Americans and how, you know, there's a stereotype of all Italian Americans who are successful have mafia ties, and he goes, oh, well, no, look at Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Which, I mean, <clears throat> the joke there is that Frank Sinatra was very, very mobbed up. Um, yeah, and have we went into this week's Gary Weiss film, which I'm not sure if we have seen this in season one or if this was a repeat sketch with the same lady and different, like, excuse me, different prank things. Like, yeah. It yeah, was... I was also not sure. I got weird deja vu because it was absolutely a woman I've seen before, absolutely in her, you know, joke shop that I've seen before. Yeah. But I was laughing a lot harder than I remember laughing. Yeah, I don't know if it was just the first time it aired. It was in, like, not, I don't want to say a shitty show, but, like, you have to be in the right mood to laugh at a few minutes of an old woman in her prank shop. And I was definitely in the mood when I was watching this one. I don't know whether the first one was different and not funny or if it was the same and it was just a weirder vibe for the show or a different vibe during the show. It was a whole vibe in itself i mean mm-hmm. every time she picked up another item that she sold she was like oh i love this little number and she got so excited about everything she was just showing it off and you know doing demonstrations there was the snake in a can um yeah you know, prop toy i don't know what you call it no it's like when you open a can of pringles and you know spring snakes or snakes spring out, what the fuck ever. This woman is a terror, she's terrifying. Like, if I were her friend, I would never be able to relax around her, but I fucking loved it. Yeah, she said she did that to her friends at the beach, and I was like, oh my god, I want to go to the beach with you. Yes! (laughs) And then we had a bee sketch that was not your typical bee sketch, because this was about the bees and... America and how they were a mi- they were a minority oh my god <laughs> they were a minority group in a country run by wasps um you had the grandparents John Belushi and Lorraine Newman and they were really proud of their grandson who I I simply didn't write down who's playing the grandson grandson B oh I actually didn't see his face I was saying I don't know that we ever saw his face it might have been a writer it might yeah I have no idea yeah, so nameless grandson B who just got into Harvard Law and he was all like, the grandpa was all like, oh, you know, it's not, <laughs> I can't fucking talk. He was just proud of his grandson and he went into his whole origin story of coming in through Ellis Island and seeing his first wasp and the wasp was like, it was Dan Aykroyd as an immigration officer and he was like, oh, ever had hives when he saw the bees come in yeah it was he was being super you know anti-bee slash you know discriminatory towards bees um he made a comment and, and as someone whose ancestors did come through ellis island and uh part of the sketch is that 
John Belushi says their names and last names, and Dan Aykroyd's like, yeah, it's too hard. I'm just going to be this B. And they were like, well, but that's not our name. He's like, it's, that's it. All right. As someone whose family came through Ellis Island and had their last name changed, and then an ancestor of mine changed it back, um, yeah, I, uh, I was like, fuck you. I was like, fuck you. Also, fuck yeah, ancestor. Um, Dan Aykroyd made a comment about he wanted to dip his spoon in her honey when a bee walked through, and it was like, ew, gross. Um, but then it flashes back to present day, and John Belushi is like, don't you ever forget, FDR was a bee, Neil Armstrong was a bee, and, like, lists all these different historical figures that have antennae, like, photoshopped onto their heads, which was actually amusing. And then he's like, and when you get to Harvard, don't ever let anyone tell you that you're a lousy son of a bee. And I was like, oh my god, that entire sketch for that joke. And it worked. Yeah, it was... The whole sketch was kind of like, what's going on right now? This isn't a normal bee sketch because they got really, I don't know, detailed about the discrimination of bees. Yeah. It was like, bee lore. (laughs) Bee lore. (laughs) Oh my god, that's going in the show notes for this week. Um, yeah, and then we had the second performance by Ry Cooter, uh, which he performed He'll Have to Go, which was originally by Jim Reeves, and it was like, oh cool, so more infidelity, great. This song was literally about a guy who's at a bar, and he calls his girl, and his girl has another guy over, and he's like, well, do you want to talk to me? Or you're going to have to tell him, like, you can go hang out with him, or you can tell him he'll have to leave and talk to me. And I'm just like, oh, dear God, like, Lion Eyes is a much better version of this song. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who hurt Ry Cooter, but he must have also known Michael O'Donoghue, because then we had Michael O'Donoghue's least loved bedtime tales sketch from last episode except now it's called mr mike's least loved bedtime tales which makes me want to yak right like i didn't think it could get worse and then it did also i wanted to say that it was during ry cooter's second performance that like i couldn't put my thumb on how he looked or who he looked like for the first performance and it was like halfway through the second one and i was like oh he looks like the (laughs) he looks like james dean the porn star and Then I was like, oh my god, Gilda, no. But yeah, so that was a thought I had for that. But yeah, then we went right into another man who's been seriously hurt, Michael O'Donoghue. Yeah, this tale was the blind chicken, and it was about a chicken who hears a knock at the door, and the voice on the other side says, I'm a duck, and it's not a duck, it's an alligator, and the alligator eats the chicken, and the story ends with the alligator getting mashed to death. It was just strange as fuck. It was strange as fuck. I don't know who hurt Michael O'Donoghue. I want to both give him a hug and, like, kick him into a room for therapy. Um, he ended the sketch by saying, uh, love is a death camp in a costume. And I'm like, oh, but that was when I had the what the fuck who hurt you. Like, oh my god. what? Again, sir, this is a comedy show. Yeah, some people don't know their place sometimes. <laughs> yeah, although I think I read on so, on a Wikipedia page or something, I can't remember where the fuck I read it, but he apparently, like, 
uh, trigger warrant, I don't even know. He lynched a big bird in the writer's room or like he lynched a Muppet at one point or something. Like, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. So, go on. Um, we had a Frank and Davis sketch next and this was essentially the two of them walking on stage dressed in lab coats saying that they're doctors from Johns Hopkins University and they're, you know, studying semantic psychology and they want to know the relationship between words and humor and this sketch was kind of, like, not totally well-formed. There were some moments where I felt like the audience didn't know what was going on because the characters, the two doctors, were just so, like, geeky and, like, I don't know. They, it just almost felt too real to me. <laughs> like, these characters were too on point and they had to, for this, um, for this experiment, say five random words and let the audience react. They would use their laughograph and tehiometer to measure the laughs. Um, and yeah, I guess Franken's character couldn't say some of the words that. Okay, let me start this over. <laughs> Before they did the experiment, um, Franken said, okay, in order for the results to be valid, you need to not associate any of the words that we're about to say with any of the following things. And he read off a few words, and then he stuttered real bad, and he got to female mammary glands and fallopian tubes. He was like, he couldn't say it. Could, and the audience laughed. Yeah, could not say it. The audience laughed. At that point, I was like, oh, my God, this man became a U.S. senator. Like, all right. Um, just like, obviously you wouldn't, if you were watching that then, that's not a thought you would ever have. And looking back at it, it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's cool as hell. He's lived a life, but it's definitely not the trajectory you would think of for Mr. Al Franken. But yeah, I don't know if he was gagging at the sexual words or if he was stuttering on the Fs. But he got to the last word, and he said pubic, but then he was elbowed by Tom Davis, where he said public. And it was, they were like, and we are not doctors, we are the comedy duo of Franken and Davis. And it was like, okay, cool. Yeah, they took off their lab coats and were wearing just, like, regular suits underneath. But I'm pretty sure um, Davis's coat didn't come all the way off, and he was just kind of standing there, like, with a half lab coat, half regular outfit situation going on you know how it is sometimes yeah and um that was uh that was the episode um the good nights went very long they had like a minute and a half and rye cooter was like oh my god this cast was amazing and the cast was like no no it was i, I don't know it, it was a long ass kind of awkward good nights but um i don't Michael know Donahue was smoking in the corner e e what Michael Donahue was smoking in the corner. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, that, that, man, that man does not like rules. He does not give a shit about the rules. Um, again, I know he's the head writer, but his presence on the show is very fucking dark. Like, I, you can very clearly tell when he has... I mean, if he's not in something, you can tell when he's written it. Yeah, 
and I'm not so sure that I vibe with this kind of humor. No, I mean, there have been a few things that I've, like, nose-snorted, like, okay, you know, that was mildly amusing, but for the most part, I'm just like, okay, I, you really would have benefited from antidepressants therapy and God only knows what else, like, I don't know, man. sketch that was just physical abuse as a joke not great yeah i i agree that was also my worst i it, it just i don't know it basically it was not mocking a kid that wanted to i mean is it a smart idea to drop out of college and go work construction i don't know Probably not. I did the whole college thing, but, you know, I also have tons of student debt. Like, if the kid's truly unhappy in college, I, you have to listen to the kid. You can't just hit the kid. Anyway, yeah. Uh, what was your runner-up? My runner-up was the Gary Rice film, which was hilarious. I'm just not quite sure if we've already seen it. <laughs> yeah, um... I had my runner-up as Franken and Davis, but the Gary... Yeah, I don't think I can pick the Gary Weiss film as the best thing, because, I mean, I don't know if it was a rerun. I don't know if it being a rerun would disqualify it from being the best. But, <clears throat> yeah, I would say runner-up to... The runner-up would be Franken and Davis, and then my actual runner-up would be the Gary Weiss film. So, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, the runner-up to the runner-up is absolutely Hank and Davis. I'm actually hard at that. And then it goes Gary Rice. And then the best of the night for me was the Puppy Uppers Downy Dog. Oh, my God. The Puppy Upper Doggy Downer sketch. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I did like Puppy Uppers Doggy Downers. Um... I, I did think the switch from, like, regular dog to, like, miniature pincher was absolutely hilarious. Um, I do think that my favorite was the cold open, though. The back and yeah. forth between Garrett Morris hitting the TV and Gilda Radner's timed, like, ducking and moving was just, it was, that was probably one of the better cold opens I've seen. <clears throat> It was a fun one, for sure. But, yeah, so that was it for Season 2, Episode 7. Uh, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, and Twitter. On Twitter, our username is satmighthighnitepod. And it's just sat my high pod and everything else, but, but regular night, not NIT. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, if you want to send us a message that is longer than Twitter will allow, we have a Gmail. It is satnighthighpod at Gmail. And we have a website, satnighthighpod.com. Yeah. And we will be back next week with Season 2, Episode 8, hosted by Paul Simon with musical guest George Harrison. I am, like, so fucking ready for this. I cannot wait. The next two episodes are going to be good, guys. Or at yeah. least, yeah. That and then Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah, my God. I right? almost forgot. This is exciting. Like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, we're coming into a good stretch. So, yeah, until next time. I'm Steph. And I'm Gilda. Happy highs. Happy highs.